Hi friend, welcome to this week's podcast from the First Baptist Church of Nokomis, where we are building the kingdom of God through the lives of everyday people. If you are new, you can visit our website at fbcnokomis.com. Click on our visitor information page to sign up for our e-newsletter or to learn more about our ministries. We also invite our regular listeners to partner with us and support our digital ministries by clicking the give Amen. Okay, so um, we have this conversation with um, Paul in 1 Corinthians. So if you look up uh, Paul and what he talks about in communion, communion is referenced in three of the four Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, what we call Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, it's not uh, in the Gospel of John, even though there is the Lord's Supper, the the formal announcement of communion is not in the Gospel of John. And people will say, well, then John missed out, right? And you go, no, actually, John is the one that introduced the washing of the feet. So you can decide you know, whether or not the uh, communion method of cup and bread or whether or not you think the washing of feet would be more appealing <laughs> in service. So um, that's... Uh, that's kind of the the uh, summary of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and they do the he takes the bread and the cup. Now, Paul is the fourth of this communion. He, Paul introduces communion as well. Um, the challenge we have with Paul is going to be something that is commonplace for um, the early church, which is how do we do communion appropriately? Now, here's one of the big introductions to the conversation about communion that Paul is going to address. And I'm going to simplify it this morning. Communion is both a reaching up and a reaching out. It's this, it's this duality of both vertical and horizontal. This relationship with Jesus, but this relationship with our brothers and sisters. And what does that look like? And, and that is the shared table. That's what communion represents. Well, Paul is concerned that the communion table is being this big debate, and it's a vertical debate to start. So let's just introduce what he's talking about. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, uh, let's just go back a little bit here. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 10, and we're going to read, um, oh, let's do, uh, Lessons on Idolatry. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud, and the cloud and the sea they were baptized as followers of Moses. Notice what he's introducing. He's saying, hey, you had a baptism by your decision to follow Moses into the wilderness to the promised land. When you made that decision and you, you decided to leave and follow, that's your baptism into this, this uh, Judaism, this, this Israelite nation. And all of them ate the same spiritual food. All of them drank the same spiritual water. They drank this from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and the rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So he's, he's restating, but he's nuancing it with this whole baptism into the wilderness and what God provided for them in the wilderness is a spiritual provision. That this is that Christ is the water from the rock. Resonates, doesn't it, with John chapter 4 and the woman at the well. These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. We must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did. This, this, this snake bite, if you will. And Moses said, okay, look to the snake that he put out, the, the, um, the, the post that he had out there. 
that they could look to and they could be healed. But time and again, what, what Paul is referencing is that they challenged God. Right? They, 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 Paul is referencing not only the wilderness, but also the course of time that he's sort of culminating into this beginning, that they're going to repeatedly struggle to be faithful to God. Uh, the book of Hosea is a more uh, intimate and, and powerful and difficult perspective than what Paul is even referencing here. And Hosea says, look, you, you want to be faithful to me on Sunday, but you're, you're sleeping around the rest of the week. This is a marriage. This is a relationship covenant that I want to have with you. And I don't want it to be participating with other gods or other idols. So that's what Paul is challenging with the, um, the Corinthian church is that there's a, a following of Jesus Christ that should not be a division of attention. Okay. So this is what he says. Just decide for yourselves what I'm saying is true. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? In other words, when we take communion, we're the witness of our belief and our, our connection, our um, intentionality as Christians of being followers of Jesus Christ. And though we are many, we all eat from the one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. And this goes back to the temple presence, that the bread that they created from one batch was, even though it was divided into six in one stack and six in another, to be 12 stacks of loaves of bread, um, that was representative of the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, it was made out of the same batch. And he's saying, if, this is, if we're one body, even though it's broken, weren't they united by eating this same bread, the sacrifices at the altar. What I'm trying to say is, I'm saying that the food offered to idols has some significance or that idols are real gods. No, I'm not saying that idols are real gods. What I'm saying is the sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God. Now, here's what Paul is introducing. We sort of are on the outside looking in and we're catching up to the conversation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he positions this a little bit more in detail. But for sake of time, we're offering this discussion this morning in this context. So a little background to it. He's basically saying the question now is there are, are food sacrificed to many gods, right? We take a food that is the, the Lord's Supper and we participate in that together. And in a sense, that food is dedicated to God. Now, what Paul's going to argue is what do you do if there's food that you participate in that's sacrificed to other gods? Now, we struggle with this because we don't, you know, you don't go out and order a steak and ask the waitress, hey, is this food, is this fine or was this, was this food, did it come from a, a temple? Was this sort of the, the not used sacrificial food at, at, a, at a different uh, altar? I don't want to participate in idol worship. And we worry about this sort of thing. And, and we could extend this uh, to probably more contemporary terms that, that buying uh, products that we enjoy and finding out that they've been created, uh, refined uh, overseas or in places that have, are suspect in their, uh, their labor practices, certainly slave labor, we would be deeply concerned that we would be buying products that we know were produced uh, inhumanely, right? Well, this was true in, in Jesus's day, certainly Paul's day, that there were there was food sacrificed to these other idols. And when it was presented to the church in Corinthians, they were basically saying, 
well, how does this work out? Now, we understand communion, but indirectly, we go out into the marketplace and we buy food that was sacrificed to, to other idols. Now, sacrifice to other idols means that they were at that temple and they weren't used for the actual sacrifice, but they came from that intention. And, and Paul is being asked by the Corinthian church, are we supposed to not eat that? And, and then how do we balance this out? Because it's in the marketplace, and if you're poor people, then that might be all you have to eat. What do you do? Now, Paul is saying this, you cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot eat at the Lord's table and at the demons too. What? Do we dare to rouse the Lord's jealousy? Do we think we're stronger than he is? And you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't just be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. So he's offering this to say, look, Eating that food, knowing it was sacrificed, the, 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 the slippery slope is that some people, especially uh, wealthier folks, didn't mind that that would still invite a, a companionship, a, a patronage to their other fellow patrons that they could receive in the marketplace from a specific temple, the food that maybe wasn't good enough for the, 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 the actual sacrifice, but then it became this, hey, um, but by buying this food from you, I am in some sense offering my uh, commendations to this idol, right? To this God, to this Greek God, if you will, to the God of the Romans. Um, so there was this little bit of a play. It was ambiguous. It was sort of a, a confusion of, yeah, if I'm poor enough and I need to eat, I'm going to eat of it. But you were also by buying. It wasn't like you didn't know sometimes. And so if you did know, were you still trying to play up your Greco-Roman practices of worship at the expense of communing with Jesus Christ? So Paul basically says this, you may eat any of the meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising any question of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything that is in it. Now, if someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation, eat whatever is offered to you without raising any question. But suppose someone tells you this meat was offered to an idol, then, then don't eat it out of consideration of the conscience of the one who told you. It might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it might be for the other person. Now, this is key. The context is somebody invites you over to their house and they would say, hey, this was sacrificed. I bought this in the marketplace. It was to this God. Bringing it up, sounds like it's a, do you think it's okay if we eat from both? So Paul's basically saying, if you're the mature, if you're a mature Christian, you'd look at it and go, okay, look, you're trying to position me into this, this, can we accept both? And I think that's a cause for concern today, right? Like, can we do all these practices that go against our, our biblical mandates? Can we sort of fudge around them? at the expense of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, when it's brought up and you you know that this is an issue that the other person is bringing up, then, you know, err on the side of, of caution. Um, don't go back to 1 Corinthians 8. Don't do what hinders them. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles of the church. I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me, I do what is best for others so that they may be saved. So now we transition from this vertical conversation of communion that is the separation of what is of idol worship for the wrong reasons and purposeful worship with Jesus. And, and that is communion. 
Communion is this offering, this sacrifice, if you will, an acknowledgement of what we can't provide at the sacrifice, an acknowledgement that the sacrifice, when we take communion, is Jesus. And it's not Jesus, the historical Jesus. And I wouldn't go to the extent of Catholicism to say that it is the actual embodiment of God's, of Jesus's body and blood. But it is an acknowledgement that Jesus is still today that sacrifice for us. So that's the vertical purpose of communion. And we make the idol worship, um, uh, you know, we make that a conversation all the time with sin. Every time we sin, there's something we chose as opposed to the righteousness of God. And we come back to that communion table and say, God, I need to not make the other idols in my life more important than you, whether I idolize work, whether I idolize money, whether I idolize um, the, the carnal instincts, um, I come first to you. So, so that's communion as a vertical act of worship. Now, this is where Paul says, what about the horizontal? Now, the Corinthians are saying, well, can we participate in, in eating meat that was sacrificed to other idols? Like they, Their whole concern was whether or not they were right with God in their, their sort of legalistic approach to communion. And Paul's basically saying, look, the marketplace is going to be the marketplace. When it's brought to your attention... You know, don't be a stumbling block to your your person of lesser faith, of, of more immature faith, newer to faith. Remember that your purpose is to honor God. And ultimately, you honor God when you come together. So he shares this instructions a little bit further. He says in the following instructions, but I cannot praise you. Remember, so now while we're arguing about idol, food as sacrifice to an idol, we're not arguing about the thing that you're doing that is really wrong. And here's where Paul calls him on the carpet. He says, really, it sounds like you're doing more harm than good when you meet together. First, I hear there's divisions among you. Now, you meet in the church that, to some extent, I believe that there's this division. But, of course, there, there must be division among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. He's kind of mocking them. He's saying, those of you that want the righteous way of eating communion and how to handle idol uh, worship and sacrifice to idol that might be food in the marketplace... He's ultimately saying, but you're still screwing this up. So why don't you give yourself all the praise because you think you're so great, but let's be honest about what's really going on. And here he calls him out. When you get together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing it with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. Now, we don't do this for communion, and I would love to do it today. You've heard me say this a thousand times. Communion should be a full banquet meal. It should be reflective of what we're going to get when we get into the kingdom of God. But obviously, the more important thing is not the physical daily bread. It's our, our spiritual daily bread, which is communion every Sunday. Even when we don't take of the bread and the cup, we're communing together. We're community. Okay? So that's why the day of obligation, if you'd like to call it, or in Hebrews where it says, do not give a meeting together. That's what makes worship so powerful, is that we are witness of God's community, of this communion together. Well, Paul is arguing with the church of Corinth. He says, but what part of it is a meal, and in Jesus' day and in Paul's day, that was something that especially the poor really counted on. Like, it might be the only best meal of the week. The one to look forward to is the communion meal. That was a big, full meal. But what he's saying is, basically, the rich people who have the houses in which the early church could meet, they couldn't get outside of their own way. And basically, they saw it as, as, as being a Christian as just another way to leverage 
people to in their favor, uh, whether it would be to to with his patron client relationship, basically to say, hey, look, if I open my home to you, you're going to open your home to me. Poor people didn't have homes. They had very small apartments. In fact, some historical archaeological discoveries have found that five or six story buildings no bathrooms in them, right? You had, there was outhouses, you went out and did your own thing elsewhere. But basically a place to stay as an apartment that you would rent for very little and very dangerous, as these were known to collapse. And you might have a room in that apartment uh, building about a 10 foot by 10 foot space, maybe a hundred square feet, not more than a closet. And, and Paul's upset that the rich who had the place to meet, right? They didn't have churches at that time. So the place that the early church met, why we call them house churches, was they met in the homes of those who were the wealthier Christians. But instead of humbling themselves to be uh, egalitarian, to wait until everybody was able to be there, where the poor would work until if the, the sun set. And they didn't have a choice. They were day laborers. So they would go work until the boss said it's time to no longer be working. And then they would they would race over to the house for church, for communion, for this shared meal. And Paul's furious that the probably the homeowner and certainly the, the likeness of those with the homeowner would be there earlier. They were the bosses, right? They were the, the ones who afforded uh, the, the, you know, the one, they were the one percenters, if you will which wasn't bad. They were the reasons that they had the houses, but the problem was they just were so full of themselves that they ate early. And they did this, they reverted to a tradition that when you were showed up and you were poor, that they felt charitable in giving you some of the leftovers. And Paul is furious because the communion table is not the, the, for the charitable that the, the wealthy eat and then the less wealthy. It was a equalizer. You come to the table because you were all sinners in need of grace. So that's what Paul is arguing. In verse 22, he says, why don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? If you're hungry and you want to come to the, the patron's house where you're supposed to be having church that night and you start early because you're like, oh, we're hungry and you sort of make excuses to why you leave the poor out and ostracized from the communion table, eat at home. Understand that this communion table is, is the great equalizer that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and we share this table with Jesus together. So he's upset with them. He says, do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? See there? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? I certainly can't praise you for this. This is not you doing the poor a favor. This is God doing you a favor, the same as God is doing everybody who confesses Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And it is supposed to be shared together. So he iterates what communion is. I pass on to you what the Lord uh, shares with me. That he took some bread, he gave thanks for it, he broke it. This is the fourth telling of communion, right? We have it in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We have the, the washing of the feet in John. And a fourth one of communion and the formal dictation of communion is in 1 Corinthians 10. And Paul says, this is what Jesus said. This is my body broken and given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup, this is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink. So he reiterates that vertical purpose of communion. He says, the sacrifice when you come together is not an actual sacrifice that you make. It's one that Jesus has already made for us. 
This is incredibly unusual in first century uh, life, especially in Greco-Roman cultures and certainly in the position of Judaism at the temple where there was an actual sacrifice to be made to the gods or to Yahweh. And, and Paul's reiterating that sacrifice has already been made. What you're bringing together is remembering that sacrifice. Now, to not take the Lord's Supper is sort of to ignore that and to sort of philosophize Jesus and to disconnect from Jesus. So that's why Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. When you get together, take this cup, take this bread, and remember my sacrifice for you, that I did that vertical responsibility of reclaiming you to have a right relationship with God. And Paul makes this, and I think this is one of the most overlooked verses as an intentional part of communion. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. When the church is full, it, it, when I shouldn't say the church, when, when Christians decide that they don't have to commune, and this is, is really important, the theology of communion cannot not be overstated. It is about coming together. We're so selfish in our spirituality when we believe that missing communion is okay. And this is the part that breaks my heart with the pandemic. It breaks my heart with, as a pastor that I can't seem to separate myself from my role as pastor um, in the church. That, that I feel like, you know, I'm the one who has the responsibility of encouraging people to go to church. So it's always a question of whether or not the pastor has the right intentions about why he's inviting people to church. Well, he wants more people in church, so it makes him feel better about himself. And I gotta be honest, it's true with the pandemic. You gotta look at it and go, where's the church going? And what's my role as a pastor? But, but that cannot be tied into this theological, intentional practice of communion. When we decide we don't commune together, there is nothing, there's probably nothing more harmful and heartbreaking to Jesus. This sort of, it's, it's, it's the rebellious against Jesus. It's this, the, the, the people that decide that hell is more important than heaven. And then next to that, the Christian that says they don't need communion, the apathetic, uh, self-grandizing, a narcissistic faith that says that I have a good relationship with Jesus. And yeah, I may talk about it, philosophize it with a few people or put something out on Facebook, but I'm not regularly in communion. And this cannot be stated enough. Jesus commanded it. He didn't suggest it. And Paul is reiterating that commandment. It is something you do. You gather together to acknowledge this vertical sacrifice that Jesus did for us. Not something that we can do, but that he did for us. But our participation in it is to remember it, to announce the Lord's death until his second coming. So Paul continues on that train of thought. Anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup in an unworthy manner is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. In other words, the rich who decided to do it ahead of time and make it something of, of their own grand, self-grandizing and then believe that they were offering the, the leftovers to the poor as if they were being charitable and, hey, look at me, I'm such a good person. And he's saying, you have created more sin. You're supposed to take communion, acknowledging Jesus' death and sacrifice, but here enters in the, the horizontal aspect of it, but it is supposed to be a shared table. That is why many of you are weak and sick. Some of you have even died. But examine yourself and not be judged by God in this way. 
When you are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Just as Paul is condemning them, he's saying this judgment is for you to right the ship. So my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. Or another way to say it is wait on each other. If you're really hungry, eat at home. Don't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. But when you get together, commune with God and with each other. You know, there's a couple of things to take away from our conversation about communion. One, be in communion with others as an act of intentionally saying, we are a community of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're the ones who take this cup and this bread and as simple as it seems, as mundane as it feels in the moment, by the practice of doing it every month, every Sunday, over and over, and whether we do it in the physical fashion of an actual cup and bread, or we do it in the spiritual fashion of our collective worship gathering and praying together and uh, worship songs and hearing the, the gospel itself, we have a responsibility as that witness. And then secondly, that same space allows us to share that love with others. That we see people for who they really are. Now I'm going to give you the best takeaway that is when you go home, you'll have many communions as I like to call them. The, the mini communion is the meal that you share with others that has an importance that God intends upon it. Now, you may not stop and say, hey, let's recognize Jesus in this moment. But there's some communion to it if you have an opening prayer, if you pray before the meal. There's communion to it if you believe that the people that are sitting at the table are people you disagree with. We have this huge issue in our culture today, and, and my solution collectively is people should eat together. We should eat together. People you disagree with, you should eat together. Have them over for a meal. Tomorrow in the sermon, I'm going to reference this throughout the Old Testament. Story after story after story is about this shared meal that brings these very different people together. And then there is something that God does as a, a commitment of faithfulness to us because of our faithfulness to God after that communion table is shared. So if you have some perspective from this and you ask the question, what am I supposed to get out of communion? Well, one, you have to take it consistently. You have to be a part of that community of faith. And then two, you can have many communions by sharing your table with others. And in some small way, you might have conversations that help people come to an understanding that is reflective of our belief system and our practices as a Christian. So may the Lord bless you. May he communion with you and you with others. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. See you next time. And remember, God is building his kingdom through the lives of everyday people just like you.